0: Welcome to Public Service Podcasting, your inside look into the world of public service scholarship and practice. Hello, Uh, welcome to Public Service Podcasting. This is our very first episode and uh, I'm delighted to be here. My name is Russ Glennon and with me I have... Ian Elliott from Northumbria University, uh, and I should have said I'm from Manchester Met. So this is our very first podcast um, that we uh, uh, that I think either of us have ever done. Um, yeah can you tell <laughs> can you tell yeah and, and could well be the last who knows um but uh, this is something that we have wanted to do we've talked about it a little bit um and i'm really pleased we've been able to get this going um and as the title says what we're really interested in is is all matters public service so we'll talk a little bit i think later on about what sorts of things we hope the podcast will cover um and you know why we want to do it why we think it's a good idea but um, let's maybe just uh, introduce ourselves. Um, Ian, do you want to go first? Yeah,
1: sure. Happy to. Uh, So I'm a senior lecturer in public leadership and management at Northumbria Uni. I am also the current chair of the PAC, which is the Learned Society for Public Administration in the UK. And my kind of research interests centre around issues uh, about leadership and also about strategy in public sector, particularly looking at the Scottish uh, public sector and Scottish government.
0: Excellent. Uh, And I have the grand title of being a reader in public management and strategy, um, and I'm at Manchester Metropolitan Business School, um, and my research interests are relatively shared to an extent and that I'm also interested in all things public service with a focus perhaps more on local government. Um, And I'm interested in things um, that we might uh, look at such as governance, accountability, um, performance management, kind of organisational change, those sorts of areas. Um, And I am also the vice chair for research for the Public Administration Committee. Um, We probably best get this one out the way. Administration, we're not really talking about photocopying here are we what do we what do we really mean by this term well we, we might talk about photocopying <laughs> yeah and
1: photocopying is, is an important thing to do uh no i mean pu- public public administration the way i always describe it because pe- people i've often had people say to me what on earth is public administration does that even exist what what are you talking about and um my my immediate kind of reference is to say well have you heard of mbas yes okay so that's a master of business administration well this is simply public administration it's you know the 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 looking at the overall leadership functioning organization strategy of public service organizations as opposed to corporate business type organizations so it's looking at all aspects of how they are how public services are designed Delivered. Um, another way to put it is, um, I guess that it's where political decisions meet real life. Um, it's about how these things are delivered and the impact that they have on communities. So that that's kind of how how I see it. It's a very you know it's very well established, very yeah. old. Feel the PAC P- um, are a hundred years old as a as a learned society, and many of our Uh, Academic journals are. I think the oldest one is um, Public Administration International Quarterly. It's coming up to its ninetieth
0: year. Gosh! So yeah. So we've been around a while. We have, and and I also like to think that we we do bring the average age down uh, of the PAC a little bit. That's I think one of our (laughs) one of our missions. We've not been around quite a a hundred years, although it does feel like that sometimes to me. Um. So, so as, as you said, you're a senior lecturer at Northumbria, uh, and I've got um, a position at Manchester, and we're both working for the PAC, um, but, you know, how did we get here? How, uh, and I suppose, I don't mean to the point of maybe podcasting, but we can think about that, but um, maybe, in, you know, just talk us through what's been your, if I can use the X-factor term, what's been your journey to this point? Um, yeah, it's, have you kind it's of a got a here? long and very rocky uh,
1: <laughs> road, road, I guess, yeah. Um... The starting point for me was during the PhD. My PhD was particularly centred around public sector economics. My um, director of studies was Professor Stephen Bailey at Glasgow Cali and um, at that time there were there were there was quite a big cohort of public admin, public management scholars at Glasgow Caledonian. Um, and, and so there was a lot going on in terms of research in that field, people like Bobby Piper, for example, um, Duncan McTavish, um, there was were quite a big cohort at that time. And, mm. and that was kind of what got me started in thinking about how public services are managed and delivered and the decisions that, that take place and then the impact that those decisions have on communities. Mm. Um, and that was kind of what sparked my interest. And then I spent a bit of time working in the Scottish government, um, which got me seeing it from the, the kind of practice mm. side, if you like. And I think you've spent a bit of time in
0: bit of practice as well, haven't you, Russ? Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, I I guess like quite a few people I know in the sort of business school, academia, you've had uh, like you were slightly meandering route uh, into academia. My my undergrad was in modern languages and uh, my first deeply passionate love for study was um, medieval epic romance poetry. But um, I sort of took a bit of a left turn from there when economic reality struck me and, and I realised that that didn't, that didn't pay very well. Um, so I, I worked briefly uh, for about four years or so in the private sector and then moved into working for local government. And I, I had about, gosh, about 13 years, I think, working in local government picked up my master's along the way and then having almost started a phd a couple of times uh, sort of an opportunity presented itself to me to do one and then i you know, i like you plunged in um and i did mine down at loughborough and uh, professor Zoe radnan was my supervisor um so that's hopefully i think we've uh, chucked a couple of names out there of people that we might um Think about speaking to in this in this podcast on later episodes. Um, what was your What was your PhD topic? Um, so my was on local government um, performance management. It was the impact, really, of the modernization agenda, which was the 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 kind of the Blair years, or I should say, mm-hmm. the New Labour administrations, Blair and Brown. Um, so I was looking at the impact of the kind of quite sweeping changes that came in um, at the very very end of uh, the last millennium. Um, trying to um, alter from New Labour's perspective to correct and modernise many, many years of uh, underinvestment in local government and public services more generally. Um, So I was looking at the the legacy uh, of those agendas there. Um, which I called, I think, quite snappily, "The Death of Improvement." That's my. Uh, <laughs> I've always had a bit of a way with titles, although I do have to say, it's clearly that romantic writing. It is. Coming it, is it is. It <clears throat> is. Yeah. Although I do have to take my hat off to you that the the title for public service podcasting is, is is solely down to you, Ian, and it is a an excellent title.
1: Oh, it's no, it's not solely down to me. I, th- I think it's a very much a joint effort. We, we we were knocking ideas backwards and forwards for for days on on that one. Um, but yeah, we, I think I think it's I think it's all right. I, yeah. I quite like the kind of play on. That. There's you know the kind of public service broadcasting, obviously. Mm.
0: Um, so yeah, that, that's where it came about. It's one of those, isn't it? I think that you either end up with a somewhat prosaic name um, that's a bit boring, um, or you know you end up with something that can be a bit wacky, and then people think. Yeah, but you know what are you doing about guavas i don't really understand what the tone is or <laughs> you know something bizarre um so so we both as academics um have got you know one foot firmly planted in um what i now call the world of practice and what i used to just call the real world um when i was less enlightened um but we both have a kind of really strong um set of experiences and, um, I suppose, attraction to, dedication to, improving public services as a, as a, I suppose, a fundamental value that we have. Do you reckon that's fair?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say you've definitely got more practical experience than, than I do, Russ, but certainly I think the motivation for, for doing this and, and the motivation for for my work is definitely about making some some sort of improvement. Um and yeah that that's that's a, a very strong mo- motivation for me and pretty much everything that i do is is thinking about the the wider public service um ethos and how to ensure that that is maintained and um that people who are working in these in these rules these really high pressured uh, really important roles are supported and encouraged and uh enabled in a way to make the best possible difference to the communities that they serve.
0: And, and, you know, we also um, both teach quite a few um, public servants, people working in, you know, different um, parts of the community. I am teaching on a, a degree apprenticeship programme at Manchester Met, and we've got um, a couple of cohorts of health and social care staff who, you know, brilliant time for them to be um, taking time out the office to do some study. But there you go. That's, uh, no one could have necessarily predicted that. And I, I guess you, you certainly yeah. were teaching quite a lot of them in your previous role, when you were leading the the MPA there, um, yeah,
1: yeah. My previous role and now, um, as like yourself, having a degree apprenticeship mm. um, in public leadership, um, we've got lots of people from health, from policing, from local government, um, and and that is a real highlight of the job. Mm. Um, I mean, I do teach quite quite broadly, as I'm sure you do as well. Mm. Uh, I teach business general kind of business students as well as the public services students but it is great when you get that chance to um, work with students who are engaged in practice and that links with your research where you get that perfect match Mm. between your research your your personal kind of interests and motivations and you know what the students are engaged in on the day-to-day basis that's like
0: the holy grail, isn't it? It is. Academia. It is. <laughs> yeah. It's like the the ham and mustard sandwich with just enough mustard, not too much, not too little. Yep, yeah, you just yeah. think. Yeah, English perfect. or French, though. What what, what mustard <sighs> are we talking about here? Whole-grain mustard. Now you see, I am a big fan of Dijon, um, oh, which okay. I suppose speaks to my French roots in terms of my my first subject area. Um, so, so yeah, so we've got this kind of, I suppose, within academia. Um, we tend to talk about um, having an education side, having a research side, and then having a, a practice yeah. or, or an impact side. Um, and, uh, you know, would it be fair to say, Ian, that, you know, you see yourself as, you know, one of those uh, triple threat person, you know, you can sing, you can dance, you can act, you can try and sort of do all of those three areas. And that, as you said, the sweet spot is perhaps when they, they start to come together.
1: Well, yeah, and I, think, I think it's really, really hard um, I don't know. I I, I get the sense that it that it's getting harder, in fact, to kind of maintain all, you know, to be all of those things. You know, I've I've always aspired to be, you know, the kind of all rounder academic. You know, um, and to to be able to be doing important research that is underpinning my teaching and also having having an impact as well. Mm-hmm. It's um, quite tough to do, and I think you know it's 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 easy. I think in academia to get pigeonholed, particularly people early mm. in their careers, to get pigeonholed as either a good researcher or a good teacher. Mm. And you know, I, I think sometimes people are, are done a disservice in um, not getting the opportunity to maybe do research when actually they they're more than capable of doing it. But then they get overloaded with a heavy teaching load. Mm. You know, mm. so finding the right balance I think is, a, is an ongoing kind of challenge you know I mean I look back at um, I, I do keep a list of the modules that I've taught it's it's way over 30 Gosh. Um, and I've um, developed about six different degree programs in my time um, but kind of doing all of that whilst trying to maintain research and trying to you know make a, an impact on policy and things it's, it's quite it's quite it's quite a tough task, mm. <laughs> um, so so yeah, and I think I think that's a pressure that lots of people feel. There's the kind of day-to-day pressures of being an academic, and of course we, we want to teach and we need to teach, mm. but then there's also the the pressures of the kind of publish or perish culture that we have, and and it comes to the fore particularly around the ref cycles. Mm. And um, needing to get those outputs out there, mm. so yeah, it's it's a it's a tension. Uh, how how have you found it in your career? You seem to have done really well with the uh, publishing, and you've got books out and things. Um,
0: you know, really really good work. How how have you managed that balance? I'm incredibly lucky, uh, and I ride on other people's shoulders where at all possible. I think that's why. Uh, what I would say, <laughs> um, it, I think it very much. Um, that's very much been the nature, I think, of my career. So, as I said, my my undergraduate, which was in languages, didn't really qualify me to do that much. You know, when you think that there's millions of people in France and Spain who can speak French and Spanish already, it's um, it kind of didn't really give me a, a kind of a, a discipline. So, I'm not an economist or an historian or a planner or a, a social worker. Um, so I've always been a bit of a generalist. I think in that point of view, um, when I worked in local government, um, I had a number of roles of head of policy, and those were always like really varied. I always had quite a broad portfolio of things that I looked after. Uh, in fact, um, one of my one of my bosses, chief exec, I called Steve Maddox, um, who's the chief executive at rural council. Um, uh, he, he called me in, and he was about to give me what I knew was going to be um, a fairly unpleasant task to do just from the fact he'd called me in. Um, and he, but he started it off by saying, he said, Russ, uh, I have a very different definition of policy, uh, to many people. And I said, Oh, okay, Steve. Okay. W- what is it? And he said, well, if I don't know what to do with it, he said, it's policy. Um, and I said, right. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then he, then he, he proceeded to hand me, um, actually one of my, one of my most enjoyable tasks, which was, uh, a letter that had come in from a paranormal society saying that they'd had some bad feelings about what was going on in part of our building. And could they come and conduct some paranormal investigations? Um, which, so that was policy then. Yeah, that was policy. He was like <laughs> I have no idea who I would give this to. Russ, Russ will do So, uh, so that kind of trying to do a bit of everything, I think, has has long been a thing. I, I, I had another manager who said he, you know, he treated me a bit like a Swiss Army knife, could do lots of things, wouldn't necessarily be the best at any of them, but you know, knew could throw something <laughs> at me and I'd have a bit of a bash. <laughs> He he also was no respecter of personal boundaries and would phone me at weekends for like recipe advice and things like that. That wasn't probably the healthiest of managerial relationships, but that nature of trying to do like lots of different things and being involved in lots of things has always been something I think I've I've enjoyed. And so, you know, I think I was very fortunate in, as with lots of these things, I, I sort of, I fell into a network of people. Um, and was able to, to to make those connections and contacts, largely, I think, mm. through attending um, the British Academy of Management Conference, um, the IRSPM, the International Research Society into Public Management. It's, it's going to those things and meeting those people and making connections that allows you, I think, to kind of get involved in a number of projects. But, you yeah. know, I, I like you, I really enjoy I really enjoy working with people um, and, you know, researching with practitioners and kind of supporting them. You know what it's like that you can you can speak the lingo, as it were, you know, you understand where they're coming from. And, and you know, when they're talking about a democratic deficit, you know, you, you've been there, you've done that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Do you know, I think you've made a really good point, though, about finding the right sort of networks and mm. people to work with. I think that's something that I probably struggled with in my earlier right. career where I was, go into lots of different conferences and never quite finding the place where Mm. I really felt that this was my home Mm. and I think a lot of academics struggle with that and actually I think a lot of public admin academics struggle with that because those conferences aren't necessarily as, you know, they're not necessarily Mm. the really big ones. I mean you take BAM for example, you know, it's dominated by management. Absolutely. Obviously it's got got the, the subject group that that you lead on in public management but if you were going as an early career researcher you might not necessarily find that subject group um and so it's very easy to kind of get lost in these huge big conferences and also not really to feel like you kind of belong in a way i guess some of the imposter syndrome maybe kicks in there as well a bit Um, and i i definitely struggled with all of that for for quite a a considerable amount of time to be honest um until, until I think um, it was either the the pack. In fact, it was it was when PAC was in Edinburgh. Um, when was that? Twenty thirteen, maybe. Hmm. Um, and it was run alongside EGPA, which is the European Group for Public Administration. So I went to both conferences, and I absolutely fell in love with EGPA and uh, one of the one of the subject groups within that on strategic management uh, which had a fantastic group of academics attending and suddenly I felt okay now I I really can see you know what the the Mm -hmm. public administration community is really like I'm getting to meet these people whose work I've read um, and it really felt like okay now I kind of get where I fit in a way yeah um Whereas lots of other conferences, I'd never really got that sense before. And it can take a long time. And I guess maybe that's one of the things that we can do in this podcast, maybe is just about highlighting some of the key people, if you like, or some of the key networks that people Mm. can link into. Because there are actually loads of different... There's so many conferences (laughs) and so many... Uh, societies and associations that you can join up with and just trying to navigate all of that can be
0: quite overwhelming it is a bit baffling isn't it yeah i i remember going to um irspm and oh, that that been 2015 or 2016 it was in birmingham and um it got there early uh and before and it, nothing had really started and stuff we were zoe and i were walking across To um, check into the registry, the register uh, at the desk. And she just turned to me and she said, I think this will be your tribe. Um, Mm. And that was, I think, a recognition of her that, um, and this is, I think, one of the beautiful things about the PhD um, supervisor, supervisee kind of relationship. You need a strong connection in terms of content and topic area and stuff, but you can also have. Plenty of differences, and make the most of those. And you know, Zoe, um, who's an amazing scholar, and whose work I was aware of before. You know, I was lucky enough to get um, a PhD with her. Um, yeah. She she's got you know this this really strong um, focus on ops and operations management and service operations. And I always yeah. used to say, you know, I, I'm in ops, but I'm not necessarily of ops. <laughs> that was <laughs> more, you know, it's a slight yeah. sort of side. Um, and and it's it's that recognition of as you said about hang on these people are talking my language yeah I really kind yeah. of get it and I think one of the things that's most difficult uh, I think around the kind of public admin public management whatever we want to call it area is is those networks used to be really really potent there would there would be you know lots and lots of people there would be far more people actually studying public administration as a degree subject, you know, as, as we see in France and America and well, yeah. pretty much everywhere that isn't the UK. Um, and that's really kind of dwindled a bit. And so if you haven't got those networks, you could be left, you know, depending on the size of the institution, one of the only or one of just a few people who are researching, you know, the public sector, um, it, that can yeah. be really quite isolating.
1: Yeah, there are a fair few lone wolf researchers yeah. out there uh, hidden away in, in large business schools um, trying to just maintain their um, you know, their own kind of interest in, in public management against the kind of uh, systems and structures of the places that they work in. I've, mm-hmm. I've come across that a few times, but I think another one of the things that, that you mentioned there was whatever you want to call it. I think that in itself is potentially mm. part of the problem we have so many debates about labels yeah. in our subject and and so many hang-ups um <laughs> about about labels the other business management business you know people talk about business administration they talk about business management they mainly talk about business management mm. in Italy. but nobody really has a debate about oh well you know should we call it Business administration because MBAs are business administration, Ooh. and that's what the subject so is about. People just get on with it; they, they don't really have such heated, <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. long-standing uh, debates and rows about. Yeah. Maybe it should be business governance, and that's that's the new way of doing business management or anything like this that that we really kind of have. I think perhaps particularly in the UK, fixated on yeah. in the past. Yeah. Um, and also so many, as I said before, so many societies and associations and, and splinter groups and factions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when the GD people people's there's only in, in total yeah. a very, very small number of academics.
0: You know? <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I'll share something with you very briefly. Um, I was at, um, it was a BAM council. Uh, meeting that I was at, and um, I, I think I'd just been co-opted, and the person that'd been co-opted alongside me uh, was sitting, was literally sitting alongside me, and we were kind of chatting away in the in the break just before the next bit of the meeting started, and we, we were talking about social media. So that's one of the reasons I'd been co-opted was to was to think about a social media policy for the British Academy of Management, and. Um, it, somebody said to me so you're active on twitter russ and i said yeah you know i'm reasonably active on twitter i mean i'm not 150000 tweets active but you know i'm reasonably active somebody said um, oh how many how many followers have you got and i said yeah. You know, it's been quite good. I've got, you know, like a whisker under 3,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this other guy said, uh, and are all of those public management academics? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure there are 3,000 public management academics in the world. <laughs> um, and, and if there were, I don't know that they'd all follow me. But, you know, it, it's it's one of the beautiful things that, that social media and um, forms like this podcast can do is they are very democratising if you are a single voice as it were and, and yeah. they very much about allowing you to engage with the loads of Australian academics is actually yes. still well regarded as a, as a topic over there so yeah,
1: that's you know. right
0: yeah and I, I, I'm starting to
1: wonder now if if we first kind of got to know each other via Twitter or did we meet each oh. other face to face first and I honestly can't remember no. I can't remember when we first kind of met each other and made that connection. It might have been via Peter
0: Matthews, I think, or something like that on Twitter. I think I'm it was sure. I think it was via Peter Matthews on Twitter. Um, yeah. And then we met at the PAC meeting that took place at the Political Studies Association Conference up in Glasgow. I think that or might Edinburgh. have been... Af- was, it was, was, it, was it Edinburgh? Oh, no, it was Glasgow. It was Glasgow, yeah. So I mainly remember because we... A group of us went out for pizza for lunch and it was quite nice that was it's my kind of soul
1: took a while but it was good Um, yes i remember that yeah Yeah, um actually and that that's yeah i was just thinking of something else there about Mm. um the the role of social media and twitter again in the past i've worked i've worked at five different institutions now um and and all of varying kind of sizes and and, Mm. and whatnot um but Certainly, in the past, when I've been in um, places that didn't have many public management scholars, I've found Twitter to be such a valuable oh, resource for reaching 100%. out to you know to the people who I see as being my community, mm. the people who um whose work I'm reading, who I am interested in their ideas, I'm wanting to see what they're working on next. You would never uh, have have had that without. Social media. If, if it wasn't for social media, I have no idea why I would be doing right yeah, now. But yeah. it would have been it would have been so much harder for me to maintain my motivation to work in public administration if it wasn't for those connections with people like yourself and being yeah. able to say, well, okay, I may not have people sitting in my office or sitting along the corridor who are working in public admin, but I can open up my phone anytime any time yeah. and I've got the full list of, of amazing academics from Australia from the US, from the Netherlands, from Belgium from England, from Scotland mm. from mm. every part of the UK who are all working on this and who I can engage with mm. on a daily basis and that is so powerful, just to have that sense of community and to be able to reach out to people and to engage and you know, it doesn't have to be always kind of high level you know academic chat yeah uh, but just to have those connections
0: i think i think it's unbelievably um important i think you've really put your finger on it um i remember being at a conference um and again this is another one up in edinburgh as it happens it was the performance management association conference which is a fascinating uh, world to to be in um and again, I was there early um, as a bit of a theme for me. So I was sitting around waiting and I'd been having a conversation on Twitter with Kate Sang, oh, who, yes. who, who I know you know. Um, and yeah. then and then, I, then I, I, I realized that she was sitting two rows ahead of me, <laughs> so I, mm-hmm. I was, or I thought she was. Um, and because I'd never met her, you know, you see a little tiny picture on, uh, on a screen, do I had to message her and say, are you, are you at a conference? And I thought, she's going to think I'm stalking her now. Um, <laughs> but you know, I said, yeah, I'm there. I'm behind you. So we turned around and then we had like proper face-to-face chat. Um, and you know, Kate's, Kate's um, an amazing academic. Do you see she just got the Scottish Trades Union Congress Equality Award for the work that she'd been doing on disability equality in higher education. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. She's based at Harriet Watt University, which is That's really right. close to where I actually live. Although I work in Newcastle, I live in Edinburgh and Harriet Watt is, is, is a stone's throw away, uh from, from where mm. I live. Yeah, Kate's a fantastic academic. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Doing really. really important work as well. Yeah, yeah, very much yeah. So. so. So how was the how was the performance management conference and how did it perform in general? I have to Wow! Uh,
0: wow, well, well I, It was quite a good conference. They only do it every two years and I haven't been back. So maybe that's Did you get a feedback sheet at the end for the using balanced scorecard or how did they kind of read that? You should have seen their evaluation. It it ran to 14 (laughs) pages. It was a a slightly weird one because it was in a hotel rather than, you know, most of the academic conferences are are actually at a university, aren't they? And, you know, or a conference centre that's attached to a university. So, I mean, that for me, I was still pretty early uh, on um, at that time. And that was, that was one of my moments of, well, look, this thing that I was really interested in, actually lots of other people are quite interested in, and you can have a really, you know, I get tend to get a bit excited. You can have an overexcited conversation about performance management and what that means for local government or, you know, the health sector or what it would be. So it's, it's a really, um, I suppose, these kind of random chances that, you know, you encounter people. But actually, it's through, as you said, following and engaging on Twitter or, you know, looking at other people's, reading other people's work and taking the opportunities to go and do it. Um, I'll ask you a question, though. Um, Who would you say was your first... um, I'll I'll, I'll use the phrase that's in my head because I can't kind of think of another one. A kind of academic crush slash, you know, fanboy type moment where you meet somebody whose work that you've, you know, you've read and you've cited and stuff. Who was that first person where you actually met them then in real life and you were like, oh my goodness. That is a hard question. Do you know, it's a really,
1: really tough question. You put me on the spot. I wasn't expecting that. But, you know, I I guess, I mean, I was really lucky with the PhD supervisor Mm -hmm. I had. And I think, You know, I still look back at the books that he wrote about public sector economics and local government economics and I think they are still phenomenal Mm. texts. You know, they are proper heavyweight books. So that that was a real privilege. And I remember my first day of of starting the Ph.D., going into the to the doctoral student office we had a really small office and there were some amazing um people doing PhDs at the same time um as me as well and that that was a really good experience but I remember them all kind of huddling around and saying so what supervisor have you got who's who's supervising and I said oh it's Steve Bailey and they were like oh you'll be fine then you'll <laughs> be no problem at all um but thinking of you know, I think I think there was one moment that that just jumps in my head. It's not necessarily the first one, hmm. but it's one that really sticks out for me. It was um at an EGPA conference a few years ago? Gert Buchart coming over yeah. to me and saying hello, um, and he actually knew who I was, and I'm wow. st- I was I was still kind. Of, I'm still a bit like high on earth to somebody of that caliber, um, and experience. Kind of know who, <laughs> who this guy is
0: <laughs> a phenomenal
1: it's, name it, it, it's it's moments like that mm. where you think ah, this is unreal um so yeah um but but there. to be honest i get that quite a lot because i do kind of i do have these frequent kind of um in, imposter syndrome attacks where i'm just thinking this is you know uh, this is not where i meant to belong you know this yes, is yeah. this is surreal um especially i think when it's when it's Um, scholars from outside the uk you know when it's it's international scholars you think hang on a minute you know i'm just a i'm just a wee guy from rural northern ireland you know (laughs) how on earth does this uh you know very important person from australia or or, you know america or whatever how on earth would they know uh who i am um so yeah it's, it's it's moments like that that kind of give you a bit of a
0: Jolt. Who was it for you, Russ? You must have someone in mind. Yeah, I mean, I, that's obviously what made it pop to my head. I think I was at a conference, um, which probably was IRSPM, um, and uh, Jerry Stoker was there, um, mm. and I'd got my hand up to ask a question, and he'd he'd got his hand up, and they went to him, and he said we've been talking about you know the the sort of future sustainability of local government then the future role of local government and what was going to change and it'd been quite downbeat everyone was talking about you know the graph of doom and that sort of thing um you know the financial forecasting and he said oh i've got a much more you know I think, positive uh, view of this. And he, he outlined why he felt it was a lot more positive. And then the person went straight to me. And I was just so amazed that it was Jerry Stoker. And I was thinking, I think I've got at least one of your books in my bag right now. Um, and uh, and I said, um, I said, uh, oh, I, uh, I was going to actually have a slightly more negative t- take on it. And I thought, uh, and I could, I could, it was like an out of body experience where I could hear myself disagreeing with Jerry Stoker, um, uh, and I thought, "Oh, <laughs> like, oh I'll probably." Do you never...
1: not kind of rein yourself in at that point and think, I "Actually, I agree
0: with, with what he <laughs> what said. said." Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what Jerry said—that's that's fine. Yeah. That's absolutely fine.
1: I, I think I must be one of the few uh, public admin scholars in the UK who hasn't actually met Jerry
0: Stoker. <laughs> I I mean, he's been around, obviously. He's had a, a you know phenomenally uh, long yeah. career and has been in lots of places. Um, yeah. I, I remember as well, as I said, Zoe Radner was my uh, supervisor at Loughborough for my PhD. Mm. And I remember going and, and talking to my mum, who, who still to this day, I don't think really understands what it is I do, um, <laughs> which I'm sure is my fault for not explaining it better. Um, but um, my uh, mum my had had a bit of a kind of, left turn herself and had changed careers and done various things and she'd started training to become a union rep which is a little bit at left field from from her background um and she was saying oh i've been on this union training course about various things And i said oh that sounds really good you know tell me about it and she went yeah yeah, i've got my notes here so she started showing me like the the powerpoints they'd given her about and that this was sort of to do with the background of of um local government and and social care and where it was going and stuff and um and she said yeah yeah and like you know he kept talking about this um this this person here this Radner um who's written a load of things about public service and i said mum that's my supervisor (laughs) Um, and it was then you kind of think yeah she is kind of a big deal actually yeah yeah Um, Yeah.
1: that's very cool uh, it, it also reminds me of um, just saying about when you enter into this profession and and maybe don't come from an academic background, as, as certainly I mm. don't, um, I? I remember when I started my PhD, my parents being really quite concerned that I was never going to get a proper job. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh dear, he's just going to be a student for the rest of his rest life. Of his life. Um, yeah. <laughs> And it, to be fair, it did feel like that at the yeah, time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it is that kind of thing. Of so, I, I, I remember being asked quite quite frequently. So, um, once you've got this this PhD thing, what 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 are you going to do? Are you going to get a proper job at the end of this? I mean, you know, what 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 are you going to do? You know, and it was kind of like a constant question of what what is this and yeah. why are you doing it and and what on
0: earth are you going to do with that? You know. I, I, I remember my mum saying to me, um, uh, she said, Russ, so what is it you're a doctor of again? Um, yes, right, that, was- that was on my graduation day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and uh, I mean, it's a reasonable question. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: for 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 earlier generations, most yeah. people didn't go to university. Absolutely. That uh, even now, it's it's only fifty percent mm. of school leavers that go to university. So, fifty percent of of school leavers, you know, don't have that experience. Yeah. And 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 especially, you know, when you get to PhD level, it's there is a lot of um, unknowns Absolutely. about it, I guess. Absolutely. And and indeed, about being an academic, you know, mm. a lot of people still associate associate being an academic with being a teacher because being a teacher is something that most you know everybody can relate to you know yeah. because they've been to school yep. so they understand what teachers do and of course that's then is where you get the whole well well uh, it's all right for you you get the summer off yeah yeah, yeah, um comments as well which, have you finished you know, for are, christmas
0: yet yeah. yeah yeah and it's okay. understandable yeah. because yeah, yeah.
1: If, if, if all you know if you're most of your experience of education is school and of teachers, then, of course, yeah, you're going to expect that, you know, people who are teaching in the university are essentially, you know, the same as people who are teaching in a, in a school. Why would you Why would you assume any
0: different? Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah. And I think those experiences, um, I was the first person in my family to go to university. I'm a first generation um, mm-hmm. student and, you know, like you, stayed yeah. in it quite a while, <laughs> spent a, a fair bit of time in, in education. And um, I think my standard answer to people when they said, what are you going to do when you've got your PhD was um, go down to the co-op and get them to change my title on my bank cards, um, <laughs> which, which which I, of course, did do. But um, it's 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 such a difference, isn't it? You know, I mean, I think that's one of the problems now that we see with traditional undergrads as in you know 18 year olds 19 year olds going straight into university they're the generation whose parents you know were starting there were more of them going to university you know the increase it was probably starting back in the 90s and things and those parents think that because they've been to university they they understand it and you know a lot has changed the the process of education changed enormously i think
1: yes a lot has changed but also the experience of being a, an undergraduate student is very different to mm. the experience of being an academic. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, and, and I would hold my hands up as well and say, you know, when I was a student, I had no idea, um, what my, um, you know, teachers, what my lecturers were doing on a day to day basis, just kind of assume, well, I've got classes for, um, you know, nine or 12 hours of the week. Um, so, well, what are they doing the rest of the time? You know? <laughs> uh, and uh, and again, I was really lucky. I had amazing, absolutely amazing um, lecturers, academics who really inspired me to think about education in a very mm. different way at university at Glasgow, Cali, um, and um, yeah. But you, you, when when you're a student, you there's no way that you can really understand what the role of an academic is and what they do beyond. The teaching role, because that's a kind of hidden space in a way. Yeah, that's what you say. Um, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe maybe one of the things that we can do with this podcast is is just shed a little bit more light on on some of those hidden activities, some of mm-hmm. the things that academics do beyond the the teaching time. You know, um, absolutely. The, the, the admin roles, the leadership roles, the the photocopying, um, wider <laughs> impact roles, yeah. and the
0: photocopying. <laughs>
1: yeah, the photocopying. Role. Yeah, with nice that, little. Segue back. Nice
0: little callback. Like back, that. yeah.
1: I like that,
0: yeah. yeah. I, th- I think students, and, and you know, I'm not bashing students. Um, I, I, I love my job and I feel very privileged to do it. And it is a fantastic job. Um, but I think, and I must have been the same as this, students kind of assume that you, you don't exist, that you like kind of poof, poof into existence, just, you know, five minutes before the lecture starts in time to get yourself a cup of coffee. And then the minute they'll walk out the door, poof you into a cloud of smoke again because um, as you said it's this completely invisible space all these things that are going on
1: Yeah, um, yeah I'm sure I am sure I felt like that whenever I was a student yeah. although at the same time I was that annoying student who constantly knocks on the door, <laughs> I must confess that was me, it probably doesn't surprise you Russ um, but yeah that, that was me, I was the one <laughs> who was constantly asking more questions and looking for more um, guidance and uh, constantly kind of uncertain unsure mm. what, what to do and kind of helped so I was constantly knocking on the doors of my lecturers thankfully they were all very very
0: reasonable and very yeah. supportive
1: yeah, uh, yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm quite living up to mm. to what they
0: were like you know <laughs> it's, it, it's a bit like when they say you know when when you have children it's the way of the universe kind of punishing you for all the yeah, things you did to your parents so, um, true. <laughs> so as academics i suppose we're being punished for the sins that we <laughs> uh, committed against our lecturers that explains a uh, lot does <laughs> i remember going in my fourth year of my undergrad to um my spanish language tutor um who was a prof and he's only now i kind of realize what a big deal it it was and and it was was a particularly tricky kind of contextual translation um so there's a term in a phrase and and it it was quite it was quite awkward I went to him and I said listen I'm really struggling with this bit you know it looks like it means this but then we've got this as a context this is a bit tricky um, you know can you give me a bit of a pointer and he and he said well what what about this and he said something and I went right no I get it now so this is this and it's this and then this next line does that mean this and he said well yeah that's not bad and then I said and this next line and he said this is where I think I hand it back over to you um, <laughs> and you go away and cat and I went yeah yeah okay okay yeah yeah. So we've, we've talked about, you know, our backgrounds and what's brought us to where we are and the nature of an academic job and the kind of the communities, the kind of perhaps what were ever-dwindling communities of, of public management, public administration, academics, but we're starting to see a little bit of a renaissance. Mm. Um, I just wondered maybe if we spent a couple of minutes thinking about, you know, we, we've called this public service podcasting. Just what do we mean by public service, I guess? Yeah.
1: Well I suppose for me the term is important because it's it, it, it's not just about the public sector it's not, not about people who are employed by the state uh, but it is about public services. I could actually do a whole lecture on this honestly. <laughs> I, I spent so much of my um, PhD uh, defining public service and talking again to my supervisor about this Um, but to put it in a nutshell you know so many of our public services today are delivered by private contractors Mm -hmm. we see that you know right now today there's absolutely quite a bit of controversy around the contracting for PPE and and different um, different things related to the the COVID pandemic
0: Um, but have have you noticed that they're, um, they're not calling it the NHS track and trace anymore mainly because it's run entirely by serco it's but
1: um, yeah exactly um, but so many of our public services have been run by private businesses or mm. indeed by third sector charities and such like for a very very long time so to talk specifically about public sector is a little bit misleading mm. because actually what we're talking about isn't the nature of the the sector, it's about the types of services that they provide. So it is about education, it is about policing, it is about health, um, you know, it's about public services and many of those, you know, it's a mixed economy. So they are delivered by even simple things like bin collection Mm -hmm. services are delivered by private businesses on behalf of the public sector. And yes, there is. I suppose one of the ways to define a public service is who pays for it. Mm. And one of the things is, you know, it comes from public money, and so it's a public service because that's ultimately who pays for it. It's not. We don't pay for it on a, on a kind of, de- on a consumption on a, on a basis. A yeah. Consumption basis. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think we also do when we talk about public service is, you know, we say a couple of things as well, don't we? We say that um, we're interested in how the services are delivered and who they're delivered to and the outcomes that those services seek to achieve. And by sort of necessity means that we have to have, you know, a longer term view of what is trying to be achieved. But I think it also, um, in saying that, we acknowledge that that the public sector delivers services. It doesn't deliver goods. You know, we might talk about the public goods in you know, a kind of broader sense, but we don't, we don't make we, we almost exclusively don't make widgets. Um, you know, we provide services that transform people from poorly people to healthier people, or from less educated to more educated, or from you know, people who are alone to ones who are more cared for. Um, and from an academic point of view, I think that's really important because so much of the business and management literature is derived from manufacturing principles, manufacturing goals. And not yeah. only is it, it's, is it not relevant to services, but the public nature of those brings these very different characteristics. So, you know, democracy plays a really important role in that. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's really, it's, it's a very simple phrase, but actually it contains a lot.
1: It does, yeah. It, it it's about the public in terms of the the users, but also that you have non-users, who are also really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also includes the service element. Yeah, there, there's a lot there's a lot to unpack in in that, um, and and I think that the, the public nature is is absolutely key to that. So, for example, with with a business, uh, when I'm teaching something like strategy for example Mm. we think about market segmentation we think about you know defining your customer and targeting all your activities you know thinking about something like um, the value stream and how each part of your business is delivering value to the customer in public services that's much more complex because Mm. you yes you have a a customer or a client or a user however you want to define them but you're also there there's an electorate out mm. there uh, who, who you're also ultimately accountable to and not everybody who votes is you know the, 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 there's issues there that yep. you know the general public is is more than just those who vote or even those who are eligible to vote mm. and so there's issues about accountability there about where does accountability lie so there are all sorts of complex issues and that's where of course the political science aspect of of public administration comes into it so it does bridge bridge between political science on the one hand and business management on the other Mm. but it it, it does straddle the two It, it isn't directly aligned with either one you have to have a bit of both yeah. in order to really understand all the complexities and that's why i think you know like you said earlier that's why it's really important that you do need to be a bit of um, a generalist mm. you do mm. need to have really wide knowledge because it, it's not just about one thing it's it's a really complex picture dealing with complex issues wicked issues as is they're mm. sometimes yeah, yeah. referred to and complex
0: users as mm. well so mm. yeah complexity is clearly a key theme absolutely and as we're seeing with um the us at the moment you know what is essential is that public servants or those who work in public service have to serve the entire electorate and those people who don't vote um or choose not to vote or have been excluded from voting or are simply unable you know to do so because they're too young or whatever um You know, you have to do that irrespective of whether they, you know, voted for you or voted for your administration. And certainly in my um, professional career, more my first professional career, I should say, um, I I worked in uh, restricted posts. um, So I was not allowed to campaign for a political Mm -hmm. party or show any signs. I couldn't have, you know, posters in my window of my home and stuff, because you've got to be seen to be absolutely neutral you know not yeah. to favor any one party um over the other and that's that it requires quite um a lot of kind of mental gymnastics sometimes to treat everybody that you're uh, you know particularly the elected politicians treat them all with respect and with courtesy and give them fair consideration you know even when you think well i i fundamentally disagree with everything you stand for yeah it's a hard yeah, process yeah.
1: It is, but I think also the the U.S. elections really have brought to the fore just how important mm. good public administration actually is. Absolutely, so, you know, leaving aside party politics, um, and leaving aside your 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 own personal political views on, you know, any matters such as immigration or such as uh, you know, Brexit or, or or any other political issue that we could mention. Mm. The, um, what political, what, what public administration does is provide legitimacy to mm. the political process. It ensures that democracy works and that people do have accountability mm. and that you know, we, are, we do hold our politicians to account and that there is transparency. And things like democracy, things like human rights mm. only really work when you have effective and indeed efficient public administration. You need public administration for any of this to work, no matter what your views are. And I think Mm. that's one of the really interesting things within the UK right now Mm. is that obviously there are a lot of really, really contentious political issues. But if you take something like Brexit, Brexit, it it cannot happen without really experienced professional public servants delivering that you you need to have public administration in order to make mm-hmm. it work it, it and and actually whether it's a good thing or whether it's a bad thing or whether it should have happened or not really isn't the the the, the point when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to public administration what matters is okay there's been a democratic process this has happened public administration is about ensuring that those political decisions actually get realized yeah. in a Uh, as as effective and efficient a way as possible
0: yeah absolutely administration bureaucracy for want of a a, of another word for me bureaucracy is not a dirty word you know we all live and breathe and rely on bureaucracy what what's bad is poorly managed bureaucracy Yeah. yeah and you know whether and as you said with brexit whether we whether we think the vote should have gone one way or another you know when there are Twenty-five thousand lorries at a standstill in kent you're gonna want somebody who knows how to you know maintain that flow of traffic and move them around and and, you know where are the toilets going i mean that sounds a bit kind of pedestrian almost excuse that pun but it it is just about as you said how do we translate that policy into action in a way that is hopefully fair equitable just and i think that's I'm sure that we will talk in a further episode about um, what we call public service motivation. So, you know, it's a well-acknowledged concept that people who choose a career in public service do so for different reasons to people who, you know, work in in the private sector um, a lot of the time. And again, you know, neither of us I know are of the you know two legs bad four legs good kind of school of thinking that that you know public is great and private is terrible you know we we rely on the private sector we're a um, capitalist nation that's how our economic system and again you know capitalism is not good or bad you know uh, the kind yeah. of really terrible crony capitalism that we're seeing come out is is bad but you know i'd like to be able to go to m and and buy my sourdough loaf because i'm now a fully confirmed member of the middle classes despite having come from uh, relatively <laughs> humble origins you know
1: yeah but all through the private sector relies on on public services of they, course they they need good transport infrastructure in order to get their goods delivered to the retail outlets yeah. they need a well-educated workforce yeah. In order to work in their factories and work in their shops, and regulation, they need, they need safety. Yeah, they they need stuff not to get stolen mm, on tra- mm, in transit. Mm, mm. Um, and if it does, you know, they need they need people caught and, and properly dealt with through the the legal system. Um, and they need a the, uh, workforce and indeed uh, customers who are healthy and have a reasonable level of prosperity in order to buy the stuff. Yeah. So, at every possible point uh, for any business, they are dependent on good, effective public services. Yeah. So, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's not about private sector bad, public sector good. They rely on each, each other. other. Yeah. Private sector you know, creates a huge number of jobs and opportunities for people, mm-hmm. and that creates wealth and that yeah. generates taxation, mm-hmm. which helps pay for the services which means that the whole thing keeps running.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Sunak's latest decision to to freeze public sector pay, um, I I struggle to see the logic behind that personally. Um, It feels it's being presented a little bit as, well, the private sector have had it tough. So, you know, the public sector should should share some pain. Um, But what you are doing is reducing the demand for economic um, activity and goods, you know, so you're making the public sector who all shop and use various facilities and private sector services, you know, making them less able to do so, which means that the private sector itself is going to be less sustainable. You know, it, we need to sort of, as you said, see this, the, the one can't really exist without the other. And I I don't know about you, but I've certainly, you know, when I've been debating these sorts of things with, with students, um, I've had some people say, well, I don't really use the public sector. I, you know, there's my bins and that's about it. And I say, well, all right. You know, I suppose it's possible that you were born in, in a private hospital in the UK. It's exceptionally unlikely, but it is possible. You might have gone to private school all of your life. You might have used Booper, but have you ever been the victim of a crime and did you float here today without walking on the roads or pavements that we were there? Have you got safe supplies of water and gas um, yeah. in your house, which were, you know, going back some time, were public utilities? Um, you simply can't have one without the other.
1: No. Public sector pay, that might be a good topic for uh, another podcast at some point for us. It, it
0: Definitely. And I had a very yeah. interesting debate for which read stand-up argument uh, with somebody about when when um, the conservative uh, Lib Dem coalition brought in this rule that no um, no civil servant could earn more than the prime minister. It was 145,000 at the time, which is a huge amount of money. But, you know, some of these people are running businesses. You know, if you're the chief exec of Birmingham City Council, the biggest single council in the country, um, and it, its its gross budget was something like 3 billion at one point. I mean, that's that's a lot of money in anyone's book. Yeah. So yes, public sector pay. There's another one. Okay. Yes. so <laughs> So, I this could be like a 24 hour podcast if we just let it kind of run and run. And I, I kind of think we probably should try and for our own sanity and you to go and refresh the uh, glass of whiskey. I can hear clinking away. I, um, I've ran know, out actually. You, so
1: I, I was, I was, yeah, hoping that we could. We could wrap it, it up.
0: To... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so we've had a, f- a thank you. Um, so much, Ian, for for having this conversation with me. That we've had a really, really mm-hmm. interesting debate, and I, you know, I've known I've known you for uh, a while now, we've spent a fair bit of time talking. But I still, it's still really good to kind of find out more about you, and that's been, you know, a fantastic experience for me.
1: Likewise, uh, Ross. it's been really good. Very I good. Think
0: and yeah. and next time round, I will have uh, a glass of something, and we'll we'll play a little game of what's in your glass today, and uh, <laughs> and we'll do that. Right. Well. Uh, Excellent. I just think, you know, hopefully to the people that will be listening to this at some point, just to say thanks very or much. two <laughs> of you. Yeah, all two yeah. of you. You've made it right to the very end. Well done. Now go and get yourself a glass uh, and we'll see you next time. Okay. Bye bye. 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 You've been listening to Public Service Podcasting with Russ Glennon and Ian Elliott.